We're talking today from the book of Isaiah, the 41st chapter, the 15th through the 29th verse. God's promises are sure. Behold, I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument having teeth. Thou shalt thresh the mountains and beat them small and shalt make the hills as chaff. Thou shalt fan them and the wind shall carry them away and the whirlwind shall scatter them at thou, and thou shalt rejoice in the Lord and shall glory in the Holy One of Israel. When the poor and the needy seek water and there is none and their tongue fill it for thirst, I the Lord will hear them. I the I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in very high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the shittim tree, and the myrtle and the oil tree. I will set in the desert the fir tree and the pine and the box tree together that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord had done this and the Holy One of Israel had created it. Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the King of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things what they be, that we may consider and consider them and what they be, so that we may consider them and know the latter end of them. Or declare us things for to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that ye are gods. Ye, yea, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and behold it together. Behold, ye are of nothing and your worth of, of naught, and abomination is he that chooses you. I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come from the rising of the sun. And shall he call upon my name, and he shall come upon princes set as upon martyr and as the potter threaded clay who had declared from the beginning that we may know and before time that we may say he is righteous yea there is none of, of the showeth yea there is none that declareth yea there is none that heareth your words first shall I say to Zion behold them and I will give to Jerusalem one that bringeth good tidings for I beheld and there was no man even among them and there was no counselor that I that when I asked of them could answer a word. Behold, they are all vanity, their words are nothing. Their molten images are wind and confusion. Here God uh, talks about his promises to his people, his servant Jacob, and he's talking about the church here, his spiritual people. He's also going to complete some of the physical promises that are in his words. And God's promises and his words are sure. That's why we need to get Hold to his words and hold on to his word because he gives salvation to those that pray unto him, those that ask unto him for help. He causes a flood of water. He says there in that verse, he says, when the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue fill it for thirst, I, the Lord, will heal them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers and high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys and I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. He continues on to say what he's could promote physically and spiritually. He's going to strengthen his people within. Our prayers are accomplishing something. We're getting somewhere in this linear phase of history and I told you I think history is linear and not circular in that 
there comes an end into which God blesses his people and bring all of the promises upon the children, the descendants of Abraham, because Abraham himself didn't see these physical promises. He didn't see the end result of these promises, but now it's going to be granted into us to start walking in those promises. As I was telling this yesterday during the Sabbath service, that valley that he's going to water us in. It's, I said, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil. Well, God promises protection to us during that time. In that valley, he pr- promises protection. The book of Psalms, the 18th through the 19th verse of the 33rd Psalm says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon those who fear him. Those, in other words, who worship and reverence him and obedient unto him. Not just everyone, even though it's inclusive that he sees all on the earth. In other words, his eye of protection is presence upon the people that fear and reverence him on those who confidently in his compassion and loving kindness to rescue their lives from death and keep them alive during the time of famine that's his promise it's like coming to god confidently praying and talking to god i was listening at the prayer and i I said well i hope i hope that's not going to affect any negativity in anyone when he was praying, I hope we're not too late. I hope this happened. I hope. No, I'm sure and I'm confident that this will happen as God had said it and that he had awakened me in time and my foot had almost slipped. But I'm confident, my hope is assured that I hadn't missed because if we've missed or we placed that process of any amount of doubt in there, we can let down. We can give that inch to the devil and say, oh, God don't love you no more. You're too late or you're not going to be. No, God had heard me in due time. He had heard me in due season. He won't forsake me and he's going to protect me even at this late hour. Well, that's why it's like the people that went out to labor in the vineyard, even those that had went out in the fifth hour or the last hour of the day, the ninth hour up to the twelfth hour. He paid the same labor. He was able to cover them or whatever. So I'm going to continue witnessing for God, continually trying to get people into the kingdom of God, saying it's not too late. Come unto the Lord. He can hear you. He can hear that cry as he heard the thief on the cross who uttered to him, remember thou me when you come into thy kingdom. He said, this day I say to you. And so this is the day of God's salvation. The eye of the Lord, I said, but it is directed to special attention to the people of his eye, to those people who are under the shadow of the Almighty, who are in the palm of his hand, who go to him as a refuge. The nations of this world have their security and military power, maybe in the things that they do and material things and all other things, but our security is in God. And says those that I hold in the palm of my hand, nothing can pluck us out. So we're secure in Christ Jesus. And the day we obtain our salvation, when he had chosen us, we were complete. We were safe in him. None of us could be lost. And I do believe that. I do believe the word of God on that. It is good to reflect on this regarding the tribulation and the place of safety that this not only promises his presence, 
but also promise his deliverance, that he will deliver us as the Hebrew boy. So he could throw us in the fire, but he will deliver us. It, it may not be physically at this time, but deliverance is promised. Job says, I know that in my flesh I shall see him for myself. So no matter what the outcome of this earthly or this physical being, I'll stand before God because I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. That he gives us the dew from heaven and that we are part of the blessing that he rains down upon us. This prophet Isaiah in the fifth chapter of Isaiah, the fifth through the sixth verse says, So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away the thorn hedge and it will be burned up. I will break down its stone wall and it will be trampled down by the enemies. I will turn it into a wasteland. It will not be pruned or cultivated, but briars and thorns will come up, and I also will command the clouds not to rain upon it. Everything I look at is an, as an application unto the church and unto us in this age, and us in the kingdom of God, us as the children of God. We've seen that Satan has entered into the church and that his ministers has been transformed into angels of light. Uh, we see the protection that God had placed around us as a nation is not what it once has been. It is fallen. The Supreme Court is gone. The political process is gone. Even the church itself, God has allowed it to be the hedge to be broken down. Satan's ministers has entered into that. In addition, God withholds the rain, so other nations, other things are being blessed. But within our particular lives, we look at the promises of God. He said he still will make a showing. Though calamities and all these things go up around us or whatever, I stopped to get gas a while ago or whatever. It was $3 and something a gallon. I thank God it's better than it was through two or three weeks ago when people were saying that the sky is falling and it won't come back down or whatever, but I thank God for that. There's always that silver lining in the clouds for God's people. Hope in him doesn't go away. I would despair if we have despair. It's because we allowed ourselves to see the last vestiges of God's protection being removed. But if we are continually turning toward him, we feel him strengthening us in his arm of protection ever around us. Ever growing stronger, the grip is growing stronger. Many may not have had the opportunity to live in a, where you had a farm that protected, where you had a boundary around certain crops because the hogs, you know, you have to have a fence, you know, or the hogs would get into the cornfield or different animals or different varmint or get into different things. That's what a hedge is for. We need, we need to think in life that God said, or Satan himself said, that there was a hedge around Job. Yeah. Uh, one of the first sermons I preached here was the borders of God. Sometime we allow those borders to be broken down. We pull those down ourselves. It is our iniquity that separates us from God. It's our slackness, our slowfulness, our diligence that pulls that away. 
God had never left us, and he says he would never leave us. He would never forsake us. But what are we of our own doing allowing to come into our lives? That which we allow into our lives. We are treasure. He told us we were a hidden treasure. He had purchased us with a price, and by taking of the Lord's table yesterday, we seen that price was his broken body and his shed blood. He sold all he had to purchase this. He gave his life for us. The book of Matthew tells about that parable of the pearl that was purchased. It's different preachers and commentators interpret that different ways or whatever. Matthew 13th chapter and the 44th verse. I'm just going to read that one verse. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a very precious treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid again. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field, securing the treasure for himself. He had purchased us with a price. He had redeemed us. Are we reciprocating that as a redeemed people? Or have we found the Lord? It says, seek the Lord and you shall find him. After you seek and after you find the Lord, you have a tendency to sell out to this world. You have a tendency of coming out of this world. You sell all to gain the treasure, to gain Christ. You count all this lost. Acts the 20th chapter and the 28th verse and John the 3rd chapter, the 16th through the 17th verse, that shows the purchase price for the field. The world and his own was with his own blood. He, he said it. He bought us back with we are that purchased. We are precious in his sight. Thou warm Jacob, we have become precious in God's sight. And we have to see, as we see our insignificance as a worm, but we see our valuation as children of God. We see that we know that our own children, we would protect with our own lives, much more our heavenly father would protect those that he had purchased. Jesus made the statement that none would be lost. So, looking from a lesson here, our Lord and Savior found this, and he protects us from all enemies, all the wiles and all the wiles of the devil. But we have to form that protective layer by being obedient unto his word and walking therein. To stay on the path, we have to walk in the light as he's in the light. We have to continue in fellowship with him. Our life is not what we go out and do for ourselves, but that we are hid in Christ and that we pray to him that he should keep us and that this should give us great confidence in our spiritual battle that he's won that battle and as he says, fear not thy worm. I preached on that yesterday, starting with fear not. Now, I said how many fear nots there was in that. But we see him bringing our adversaries to our knees. We see us as conquerors in Christ Jesus, more than conquerors. Those people that's doing the little trivial things against us, I think I went over that yesterday. All them that uh, contend against thee or incense or despise thee shall be ashamed and confounded 
they shall be as nothing that those that rise up and argue against you and rise up against the things to do. He said he's going to make you a sharp, stressing instrument. This shouldn't give us a deal of pride, but it should give us vigor to fight as children of God, to allow him to shape our battles and that we be used by him and do it as he say do it. <laughs> Live life, life as he say do it. The greatest battle has already been won, and that is not all. It is finished. It is complete. All we have to do what is walk therein. But walking is a way of life. In other words, that walking is a metaphor. It stands for the way we live, how we live every day, what we're doing. Well, since we are his treasure, and since he hides us and protects us, sanctifying us through his truth. His word is truth. That's what washes us and cleanses us is obedient unto his word, walking in that truth. And we do not forget that he prayed for our protection from the evil one, and we have it better than it seems that he says, I'm leaving them in the world, but keep them from the evil in the world. That, mean, that don't mean for us to go out and tempt the Lord and try to show everybody else who we are, that we Superman, that we got a, a bulletproof suit and that we can run through the fire. No, we are hidden. Sometimes we have to do our thing. We have to do things as a child of God, as he did. He didn't make himself of a reputation. Other people said who he was. Who are people saying you are? Do people look at you as a child of God? Are you really a threat to the world? Because if you're narcissistic and out beating your own drum and sticking out your chest and proving yourself and all of these other works that go before, Satan sees you as very vulnerable. You're not a part of the pack. There's protection in the numbers. There's protection in the group. There's protection with the church. That's why it says for Satan not to... The assembling together of yourselves. You can't be out there fighting your own battle. How many people you know or you interact with that say they saved or say they know the Lord, but you don't ever see them go to church. They don't have a, a church life. And those kind of people I keep away from around me. They don't even visit my home. I don't have that many people visiting my home or I fellowship associate with these people because they have a tendency to pull you down and pull down your power because by you even associating and conversing with them, they weaken you. They don't strengthen you. You might think they do. It might do something to your personal self. That's your carnal self. But nothing to your spiritual self. There's no benefit. That's a weight of sin. He says, we have more going for us than we might think. Despite the spiritual battles, we still have to fight. As Christians, there's a battle that we have to fight of necessity every day. Every day. We do battle. And like I said, the world sometimes show us a false piety. Try If you're a person that's truly blessed and getting things from God, your neighbors, other people around you, they'll cater to you. They're not going to come up against you. But to get you to do things for them and to get blessings and little things out of you, they will be what you call suck-ups or brown-nosers. They will attend to your every need. They always go give you false accolades or false piety or something. And if you're a weak Christian, a lot of time you go for these things. You don't use that or see that as a chance to challenge 
their status quo. In other words, okay, you say all these things about me. And when they challenged Jesus to came to Jesus, Jesus used that as a segue into their line to introduce either choose God or don't choose him. Either you're for him or you're against him. But you're not going to waste time. You're not redeeming your time because these people come to your house or around you for years and years, but they never go to church. They never actually go into your church or do anything, but they're always kind of catering to you, though. There's no battle against you because they're wiser than you. It says the children of the world are wiser than the children of the king. Mark 16th chapter in the 17th through the 8th verse has something in here that the other gospels don't have. It says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. He says, In my name shall they cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues. Now, like I said, Mark is the only one that has this accounting of the signs that follow those that believe. And I'm not going to get too far off on that. But Luke's version in, in the commission of Christ, Luke, uh, the 24th chapter, the 36th through the 49th verse, and Matthew, the 28th chapter, 16th through the 20th verse, don't include these signs that will follow those that believe. For, you know, each eyewitness wouldn't give the same account, and Mark's not giving the same account as the rest of them. And a lot of people say Matthew and Luke, a lot of them drew from Mark's gospel when writing their gospel, that Mark's gospel was one of the first gospels. But Mark includes the signs that will follow those that believe. And I think a lot of the sign miracles and the sign wonders were for the apostles, but that some of us may do those things. It wasn't a chance uh, thing that we should start, start handling snakes and doing all of these things to tempt the Lord they God approving ourselves because we know adulterous generation look for a sign but are these commands for the followers of Christ as promises are those promises are those signs promises because we know the established the gospel the established the kingdom to establish himself as the son of God we know that there was miraculous miracles and things did in Jesus Christ's life we know that some of the apostles and some of us he said greater things that we shall do that we go to the father I don't think greater in the actions or the ways that we would be doing them but it would be greater in the number of things done in other words the church is going to accomplish a greater number of these things in other words the church today we should be being fruitful and having some accomplishments. And I think that's what sometimes puts fear and despair in our lives, a loss of hope. When we don't see fruit in our lives, when we don't see ourselves progressing, or we don't see things coming to pass. And I think if we would start strongly studying the word and praying, and our faith would increase, we would see God being much more active we would see the activity that's going on and that we're not doing as much. Not that the word something is wrong with the word of God. In particular, does Jesus say Christians should say, like I said, 
tempt the Lord thy God. And we know He didn't tempt the Lord thy God. We know there are churches that go around in some parts of the country that handle snakes and do all types of things. We know of the Jim Joneses and the different people that has come along making different promises from the Word of God. But that's due to a lack of wrong interpretations of the Bible. He's promised us protection. But one of the things that Jesus himself knew that to prove ourselves to others, we shouldn't do things that would put ourselves in bodily harm. It's like with the pandemic when people are talking about God's going to keep them and they don't have to take the shot and all of these things. That's idiocy, I think. I think that's a sign of idiocy. They got to research this more and all of that. No, that was a deadly plague. And I think it may have, you know, all things come through God or whatever. But for the tempt the Lord thy God, that was one of the temptations in which Satan came to Jesus. If thou be the son of God, cast thyself down off of this high mountain. He says, scripture says, the angels shall bear thee up, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. Well, if you know that this is deadly and will kill you, you don't tempt the Lord and say, you will have to protect me, don't kill myself. We know that there are a lot of saints of God that committed suicide. We know Samson committed suicide by pr- pushing those pillars apart on himself. And God, he says, God, give me the strength to kill these Philistines along with me that I die along with them. But he had failed in his mission toward God. He had failed because of the weakness of the infirmities of his flesh. Men in the church believe and may well believe that Christ speaking to only those that are called to preach the gospel. And we know that there are those with gifts of healing that aren't preachers. Those are gifts that God put in the church. That there are different gifts placed in the church. So we have to be careful in God's word and study and know God's word. And that he did say in verse 15, he said, to the eleven remaining apostles of the disciples to go ye into all the world. Uh, okay, but after that, we know that Jesus Christ never attempted to prove himself of us short of faith. He gives us, we're saved by grace through faith. Short of faith, we don't know or understand God or whatever. And so, we can't display God to others in those ways. That's where Job's friends erred at. They thought since Job had lost his possessions or something had happened to his children, that the children was bad or evil. They spoke a lot against Job's children or whatever. They spoke things against Job. And as, as I was telling you yesterday, things happen. There's the results in life that happen. Sicknesses comes. The car won't start sometime. The washing machine breaks there are different things as the man that were born blind and they say who had sinned this man or his parents and Jesus says none had sinned but this was just to glorify God so there are natural occurrences and things that happen but God's protection is provided for us and we see his protection for many of the saints or whatever but if we follow God there's certain protection that he gives us And none of us dispute the fact that God does keep us and protect us that know of God. So we're not out to 
like I was telling you, to defend God. That's what apologia is about. Depending, uh, apologetics is about uh, why we believe to what we believe or whatever. So our testimonies that we have in knowing of God and knowing that he's a keeper and he's our protection, that grows and, and we grow as we know the word of God and the promises of God and stand on those promises. That That comes from a relationship with God but all that begins with the fear of God the beginning of knowledge and understanding comes with the fear of God that's where it begins at with the fear of God and as a nation as a people those of us that no longer fear God it's pretty hard to understand or try to explain all of those to them because they're the mountains that we're threshing our children, our relatives, our parents, the people around us, we are the ones that should be threshing them. We should be that sharp instrument. We shouldn't ever lose that edge. And that's why I tell you, familiarity breeds contempt. Some things we hold back saying or doing or whatever, but we should have that same edge. The salt shouldn't lose its savor. You, we should be able to speak the word of God to where it convicts. It should be some power and authority in being a child of God. We shouldn't have people just to thread up on us because they think we are meek pushover or something or whatever. That's not what being a child of God is. Luke writes in Luke the 17th chapter in the 17th verse uh, that the 70 returned with joy saying even the demons are subject to us in your name. So they were congratulatory, congratulatory in the fact of cheering the fact that the demons were subject to them. But Christ says not to rejoice in that though. He also recalls in the book of Acts the 5th chapter in the 12th Verse says, through the hands of the apostle, many signs and wonders were done among the people. That was the church in its infantile state, and that's how the church grew through these signs, wonders, and miracles. But let that let not those signs, wonders, and miracles be your segue of thinking that somebody is a child of God, or that declares that a person is of God, because like I said, that great counterfeit in these end times, Satan shall come with lying signs and wonders. Jesus told his disciples that adulterous generation looking for a sign, and no sign shall be given. We have to come through him by faith. It is through faith and building up that faith, and that faith is based on his word, the trust in his promises. It is quite possible but that this section of Mark applies to the apostles and perhaps is further limited to their lifetimes about some of the things because that's why I was saying about the speaking in tongues and the tongues of the church. And it had happened in this church as when the pastor passed and the, the division was coming in this church as assistant pastor. I was standing up against a whole lot of people. The church was relatively large, much larger than two or three different groups came in and they were talking about speaking in tongues and all this. And the guy that helped start the church, one of the ministers, he's out and about and I don't know where he is. Well, I know where he is or whatever, but we don't have that much dealing now. But he was one of the ones that was one of the founding partners along with Bill Washington or whatever. 
But the gift of tongues, I think, was for the church in this infantile state. And as Paul said in the book of Corinthians, that tongues would vanish out of the church. Tongues would vanish. Tongues shall cease. That's in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, I think it is, about tongues ceasing. Prophecies are ceased, but faith, love, and hope, all of these are continued because there are a lot of holiness churches and Pentecostal churches and everything talking about speaking in tongues and all these and things. Be careful. Be very careful with those things. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't work that way or God hadn't worked that way. But what I'm saying, I think tongues was a gift for the infantile church. It says, when I, as I was a child, I spoke as a child, and we had the church coming all together, and that was in its state. But in this latter time, be careful of those things. But we, I'm not saying all of the gifts vanished during that time, but I think some things was for the church in its beginning. A slight problem with the conclusion in Mark 16, 17 says, these signs will follow those that believe. So I do think that you can, God can heal and do heal people through other people. That's why I say the gifts of healing are in the church. Now don't go to sleep on me here now. It would appear that these verses apply to all believers in which I think all believers that you can't limit God to what he wanted. And that's what I say. Do you have enough faith? Remember Paul and Peter seeing different men that had the faith to walk, the faith to believe. So with enough faith, with the faith that that faith is cultured and rise up and God's help gender that faith, I do believe that those miracles, those things can be done. So I'm not limiting God, nor limiting those in the church. In Matthew 44, I told you about Satan tempting Jesus with those casting their foot, casting down themselves, but it was like I said, the pandemic. Well, if you know that this is a deadly virus and you can catch this deadly virus, but God had provided through the doctors a way of healing, a way of being cured or whatever. But now you're still saying, I think that that's a foolish decision. Now, I, I'm able, to, as an individual, I'm able to hold my opinion or whatever. And I don't like to give opinions as a preacher or teacher a personal opinion, but I know God heals through doctors also. It's a commercial that comes on channel too. This man was in various amount of pain and he had problems or whatever. It's a commercial about a crawf a fisherman in South Louisiana and he was witnessing about this spine medic spine doctor, some kind of doctor, whatever he said, God took your hands and with his, your hands he healed me. In other words, the guy was pain-free or whatever. So, like I said, God works through man. God works through man, and there's avenues in which God works through man. So, let me be perfectly clear in what I'm saying about these gifts and things that's going on, and God protecting and keeping us. So, I think the protection that came over the nation was from God. I think that vaccine that was developed, I think that that was to develop the knowledge. And now, we, we, you know, it's still going on or whatever, but we're past that now, I think. We understand. The 
verse tells about Paul getting bit by a snake in the book of Acts that latched on him, and bit, but he shook him off or whatever. But that doesn't say that you should go tempt yourself as a snake charmer or do these things. That was accidentally thing. And he was talking about poisons, if you shall drink this or whatever. And we know God does this. But it, it's out of, we don't want to get out of the context of what the Word of God say. And that's why I say in this last day and time, we have to be taught the Word of God and instructed. His protection is there, but it's not there at our will to go stand out in the highway and say, well, that truck or that thing is not going to run over me. If something happens, somebody can give you insight. I was telling her about the chairs. If something happens or whatever, well, somebody had warned and told you about these things that they could happen. So it's just like your child. You can tell them different things, and they say a child has a guardian angel watching over him or whatever. But we do hear of how, how many countless numbers of children being killed or something happening to them. A four-year-old yesterday killed himself with his father's gun or whatever. Uh, in Deuteronomy uh, fifth chapter through Moses, he rehearsed to the children of Israel the Ten Commandments. Then in chapter 6, he told them to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. He further told them to teach God's ways to their children. Fear him, stay away from other gods, and do not tempt the Lord thy God. And like I said, when you do things that are deadly or you know can become deadly, or you walking in error or ignorance and somebody give you wisdom or, or, or instruct you in these things, you may be tempted in the Lord thy God. He says, don't tempt the Lord thy God. A lot of people say, oh, God's with me. God's going to protect me. Okay, well, you can use that if you want to. You know. As Leviticus, the 26th chapter and the 28th verse show, God's blessing would flow to them if they were obedient to the blessings that include the promises of protection. So as a nation, we hadn't, taken heed to the promises of God, his instructions, and we hadn't taught our children and we ourselves iniquity have separated us from God. Uh, I was telling you about the 17th verse of the 10th chapter of Luke, the 70th that Christ had sent out returned with great joy, amazed that the demons had been subjected unto them. But why was those demons subjected unto them? kind of like the seven sons of Sceva I was talking about the other day that the demons were subject unto them but the, the demon says Paul we know and Jesus we know who am I you? The demons told them a part in there. So they didn't have the authority, the word of God, the name of Jesus carried that authority but they wasn't authorized to use that name. And it's a lot of us use the name or take the Lord's name in vain and he tells us about taking his name in vain and that's to promote self not to come in the kingdom of God if we're using it to promote self that's why a lot of prayers are not answered we are asking amiss uh, answering to consume it upon our lust upon our own self to show somebody else that we're children of God and that we can bless or help them your neighbor may say I, I, I know you're a child of God I know you're a man of God you pray for me for this and you pray for me for that Okay, I understand you thinking I'm a child of God and all this, but since you asked me that and I can pray for you and that, 
why don't you stop living this way? Maybe you're living in fornication. Maybe you're living in whoredom. Maybe you're not going to church. Since you asked me to pray to my God, let me tell you what's required for you to do to line up with my God answering those prayers. That's what happened to Nineveh. When Jonah preached about him destroying Nineveh, what happened, repentance wasn't in Nineveh. And some hundred years later, God sent Nahum to tell them that they were going to be destroyed. Nineveh was destroyed. But unless you turn and change your life, it rains on the just and the unjust. God may help you. God may do all these things. But to be a child of God and to be under his continuing umbrella of protection, you have to be walking in his commandments. You have to be a, 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 in other words, you have to be in Christ. You have to be in, in Christ. You have to continue in his word. That's when the promises of blessing, physical and spiritual, are you can realize those in reality. Behold, I, he says, this is what it says, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and on, over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are already written in heaven. So you're not rejoicing of, of your accomplishments. And verse chapter 41 tells us of the enemy being ashamed and all these things happening. You're not rejoicing in that. As a matter of fact, you're like Jeremiah and some of the other prophets. You pray and pray and cry for these people and you cry for the nation because they'll be destroyed because they're not walking in, in the Lord. And nothing's worse than receiving of something that we perceive as a blessing, but to be hardened in our sin. In other words, for God to bless you, uh, have a blessing come your way, and ultimately it hardens you in sin. That's what signs and false signs and miracles does. It may heal you, but it might. That's a lot of churches. They're being blessed but they're being hardened in their sin because there's no repentance. They need no turning away from God. I mean, no turning away from sin, no turning away from evil. So those are the ones who call upon the name of Jesus, Lord, Lord, and they're doing all these things, but they have no knowledge of God because the fear, reverential fear of God is not there. The fear of God to depart from evil is not there. The preaching is lacking the conviction that makes you a true child of God, taking away that protection because you never was saved anyhow. It was a profession of faith. Protection is promised here, not a command to flaunt God-given authority. He specifically instructs them not to rejoice because it wasn't of their own doing. Not it didn't show a sign of their faith and it was God's protection just pure and simple that he was keeping him. Let's go on to another one here. The prophet Isaiah pins words of God similar to these in Isaiah 43rd chapter first to the third verse and the fifth verse and we'll elaborate on these much more as we get to that 43rd chapter. He says fear not for I have redeemed you you are mine When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. 
For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Fear not, for I am with you. Okay, so these sayings are said to the children of the, the people of God. <coughs> now, knowing that destiny, we all have our fate, F-A-T-E, the way things will end with us. But our faith carries us without fear. We can say face the challenges of life, not fearing death or what man can do you or the circumstances. You die with your trust in God. As Peter, when he was crucified, as they say, upside down, Paul, of all of the words and preaching he taught, he was beheaded. He faced that, though, with faith and non-diminishing faith and hope in Christ Jesus. We understanding what I'm saying here. Even though his protection is with them, we're that threshing enemy and God had used us. But now that it's over with, we sleep in Christ. But knowing that we'll enjoy those physical and spiritual blessings because we have eternal life. It gives us a better way to do our work knowing that we are immortal before God once we're born again and strengthened through faith in him because he had given us everlasting life. So we don't fear losing this life. Throughout his word, God has promised his protect, us his protection. He is especially watchful over those he has commissioned to carry out his work as well as all those whom he has called to make a witness for him that God's umbrella protection is over those, his bride, the church. It, it's called our people. The Bible is full of examples of his power to deliver his servants from life-threatening situations. He's given you that to give you hope in situations, even though sometimes it may not end the way you want it to end. This prophet that was speaking this, Isaiah, you remember I told you they speaks of him in the book of Hebrews when it says some were sawed asunder. It is written that Math, Manasseh is said in secular history that Beth, Madison, Manasseh had placed him in a log and sawed the log in half. However, he does not guarantee to cover our foolishness when we put ourselves in potentially dangerous situations. And that's what I was telling you yesterday about us, some of us as African Americans who maybe eat diets that are not appropriate to us or for us and doctors have warned us that this could cause diabetes or high blood pressure or this living condition that you're in or consuming these or some of the things that we do or some of the things our parents caution us about. Some of our habits and having casual relationships and dishonoring parents shorten your life. All these promises of God not that it always happened, but it does happen. But we know that stereotypically, the Bible says that's a promise with extends life to us, honor thy parents so that days will be long. So that's a protection given to the parent of authority to help the child that aligns with those instructions. He abhors being tempted and tested if he needs to prove himself. And that's one thing as a parent, we don't 
I, I know I have it in once your wife or somebody, like I said, those addiction, those things that we make idols or graven images, they'll make you prove their love to them. You know, wife say, you, you don't love me if you don't buy me a new car, if you don't do this or do that for me. The child says, you don't love me if you don't do these things. That's what happened with Samson when his wife says, if you don't love me, or you tell me where your secret lies or whatever. When you have to prove yourself to someone, notice that God didn't allow Job to hold him hostage to, to that he had to prove himself to Job. These things, and I don't think you can postulate fully in those things, but don't let something in life begin to hold you hostage. That's why he says he bring those things to nothing. So they would have to see that they're coming up against you and that he had made you as a brazen wall. You remember I told you yesterday that he had made us strong. He had given us a strong forehead. In other words, of mind and thought that we don't cave in to, to terrorists. We don't cave in and give these people the desires that they want of us. Uh, you, you know, different situations. Don't let anybody make you a hostage to hold you in bondage. There's liberty in Christ Jesus. And that's when Psalm 78 shows God's getting upset at Israel for keep trying to make him test himself. Can God provide water? Can God provide meat? Can God do these things or whatever? That's a challenge as your child was growing up. You didn't allow those challenges because they get ever for you have to take it by faith. You have to trust what's going on here. First Peter 5 and 8 says, Be sober. Be very vigilant because your adversary, the devil, has a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And I was telling you that earlier about Satan is seeking for lone wolves. He's seeking for people that's outside the church or existing without the church. They're easier target. But we as a, a group, as a church, stand stronger. The doctrine of Christ brings unity to the church. Don't be a stray that can be brought down. Uh, sheep that are wandering away. That's why you look for the one that are lost because they're more vulnerable. There's power in the number. We don't have to be vulnerable. Stay close to the church. Spiritual promises of God. Uh, Genesis 12, 1, 2, 3, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Give thee out of thine country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land in which I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. God made a twofold promise to Abraham. We could see physical and spiritual. The first was a material promise that he would be the father of many nations and that kings would descend from him. God promised him that his progeny would inherit the promised land, the land of Canaan. That was a physical promise, but the spiritual promise was to the heirs and inherited in the whole earth. The second, which is the most important, is that spiritual promise. God promised Abraham that his seed, in his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That seed is Jesus Christ. We all blessed in Jesus Christ. Those of the father of faith, those that have the faith of Abraham. That faith, this promises encompass the life and the works of Abraham's best known descendant, and that's Jesus Christ. That's the seed of the woman, and we all what are hid in Christ. 
So all of the promises are to us, those of us that are in Christ, that are born again, that are born of faith, the birth by faith. This promise was later extended to include the inheritance of the whole world, and God didn't have to redo it. It was in the initial promise. If we look throughout the whole Old Testament, we can see where that extended to the Gentiles. Romans 4.13 says, For the promise to Abraham uh, to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through observing the requirements of the law, but through the righteousness of faith. In other words, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This faith, it came through belief, not something that Abraham had did. It was through grace. Noah received grace in God's eyesight. So it came through faith. Abraham's physical descendants, the nation of Israel, inherited that land of Canaan. Now this was a type of Abraham's spiritual descendants inheriting the whole earth. You remember I told you about the types and shadows and that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So the things that are happening us to us in this world, they are real to a point that it's happening and we have to go through this. But the reality comes as a when we realize it and when we come to the point of inheriting eternal life in all actuality and thy kingdom has come to the earth. In other words, this is a, a process in works. This is a shadow. Just like the Old Testament was a shadow of the New Testament well, the promise of them inheriting the promised land was a shadow of the, those of faith inheriting the earth, the meat, those of us that inherit the earth. This promise will come to pass. That's God's word. We actually believe this, that, that the physical descendants, that these descendants that are born again spiritually. See, now, are, are we understanding when I say spiritually? We've seen a type and a shadow in history and the things that had happened. So this beast system, this Babylon that God calls us out of, where is it? It's the whole earth. And that's why we says, I'm leaving them in the world, but that they come out of the world. So in that matrix, he's developing us, but it's built up on the promises of God. Walking through faith. Genesis twenty two seventeen says, I will bless you with incredible blessings and multiply your descendants into countless thousands and millions, like the stars above you in the sky and like the sands along the seashore. They will conquer their enemies and your offspring will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, all because you have obeyed me. That's the living version. So we see 41 coming here that we go fresh the enemy, that that seed, that we go crush the head of this de- this devil, that, that seed that's inheriting the earth is us. The evildoers shall pass away. They're going to be as chaff. They're going to be as nothing. They're going to be as just, you know what chaff is? That's the thing that comes off the wheat, the nothing that's, that you shear away. They're going to blow away. God's going to remove the wicked from the earth. We have to just walk therein. That's what we're doing, and that's how the kingdom of God is among us. It's going to manifest itself. But we're looking spiritually at this thing, but it happens physically. That's why I tell you about the Davidic kingdom, the promise, the millennial reign of Christ. Yes, 
He adds to the dust mentioned in Genesis 13, 6, the sand and stars, which are considered to be countless. So these are numerous descendants. Let's think of the countless millions and billions that's been born since that time in the earth that God, the magnitude of this, since chapter 40, I've been trying to give you the magnitude, the awesomeness of God, just what exists and will exist that's incomprehensible to our mind because God is infinite and therefore we can't think outside of what we have here in this mind but if that mind's in us that was in Christ Jesus we'll see that God's doing exactly what he said he would do we see here strength power greatness in number and not only that those who come from Abraham are going to sit in strategic locations. In other words, we're going to control the gate of our enemy. Those that had did us all these things will bow before us in humility. And then they won't be. They'll be removed. So all of those people, all of those stumbling blocks, God will remove all stumbling blocks. That's what I was talking to a, a member yesterday there about. Just think of earth when everybody is doing right and doing what they're supposed to do, when the kingdom has come, our jobs, our work won't be working any longer. It's a rest in Christ Jesus because it invigorates us to do that which God had created us to do, and he purposed us to do good, and we go about doing good. Amen. The last one I'm going to be able to attack here due to time is Genesis 24 and 6. Rebecca's brothers telling Rebecca about the blessings that they would want upon her and desire upon her. She was about to go away with Isaac. And we know Isaac was a type of that promised seed of Christ. Rebecca was going to be his bride. Genesis 24 and 60 says, And blessed her with this blessing as they parted. Our sister, may you become the mother of many millions. May your descendants overcome all your enemies. So people try to spiritualize the promises of God away to the patriarchs and what has happened. But we see due to this word and the right interpretation of this word that this is a worldwide promise that should be physical. I'm not saying carnal, but it will be physical because in the new earth, in the body that we should possess, it is certainly true that many of those promises have spiritual meanings and will have a spiritual fulfillment, but we can't look beyond that and say the earth could pass. What do you think the new heavens and the new earth is? Isn't it this a new creation in Christ Jesus? Isn't he bringing it about? That's why he says in this life you'll have homes and brothers and sisters. In other words, that's why I say we start to see it materialize in this life. We start to walk in these blessings, the abundant blessings of God. And that's why I say if your faith is there, and it, it is part of your faith that he'll start doing these, by, by his stripes we will heal. This walk of faith will start walking uprightly in Christ and we'll see a lot of things take part in our life. Now, I don't want to give you promises that aren't yours, to, that are applicable to you, but they're applicable to the body of Christ. He says, an ever-increasing faith, a rising 
in the works of God and people seeing that we are actually the blessed of God. The promise of eternal possession of the land certainly has reference to the spiritual Israel's inheriting the entire world. So the spiritual Israel would be the church. The church is the inheritor of the world because why? The evil pass away. There's no more evil in the earth. We're all children of God. When we're talking about the mountains of God, those that go up to the house of God, the ones that are truly blessed. So we don't have those neighbors and people that are not going to church, that are not going to the house of God. Everyone attends the house of God because that's the thing that we live for. That's the thing that we desire. It's not grievous unto us. We'll have one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. It is unfair to limit any of God's promises. That's why I keep telling you, I'm not limiting the things, the actions, the gifts of God, or any of these things from happening, but the promise that Israel would control the gates of their enemy is a good example of a physical blessing, one that cannot be spiritualized. But in Genesis, the reference to the gate of their enemies is the kingdom of God. It says, in God's kingdom, all that offends will pass away. Right? So, in our prayer, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Within God's will, that evil is done away with. It is the kingdom. It's being done where? On earth. Right. As it is in heaven. Do you think heaven has a lot of little bugs up there? Do you think heaven has loneliness? Whatever is bound on earth, that's what's bound in heaven. We are bound by the word of God. The word of God is primary. That's the only thing that exists. Nothing can exist outside. So as that kingdom come, it's here on earth. A physical place. All the spirits being will enjoy a rich eternal relationship with the children of God. So we see what? Ministering spirit, which are the angels of God. It's a relationship. Everybody has this relationship with God. You don't have to worry about killing. There should be no more killing. No more pain. No more suffering. Because the things that people do to hurt your feelings, to do things you doing unto your neighbor as you would do unto yourself. This is truly the root. This is truly what we do. That has become our nature. We wouldn't do anything unto it. It wouldn't even come into our mind to do those things. Because now all even it's these thoughts are vanquished because we've brought every thought into the captivity and obedience of Christ. This has become fixed and fitted in that new nature that's in us, this new way. There'll be no hate. There'll be no backbiting, no gossiping. All of these things are passed away. Now, I don't have to end here. I didn't went a little bit over here. But we have to see why we look into the promises of God and we know that the promises of God are sure and that we walk therein in that it Perfect, that perfect love that I told you 
casted out all fear. The fear that is in us, that Satan has placed in us, is washed away by the word of God. By the renewing of our mind, by the transforming of our mind. It casted out all fear. God hadn't given us a spirit of fear. Heavenly Father, as we 